So I had a note to thank Kevin and all the musicians and especially our media folks uh, for what they've been doing in terms of keeping things going by streaming. Uh, I don't know about you, but back especially in April and May, what a joy it was to be able to tune in on Sundays and to take advantage of the technology. My family was watching three services. My niece was living with us, so we watched her home church service. Uh, my daughter was on staff at a church in Chattanooga, so we were watching her church, and then we would watch our church. So we were extra holy during the, uh, the pandemic and all, uh, but really do appreciate so much the, the extra work that was going on behind the scenes. And uh, I'm a, a proud graduate of New Orleans Baptist Seminary. And I will tell you, we didn't have classes on how to deal with pandemics and how to deal with streaming uh, and, and preaching and things like that. So I did want to uh, take a moment to thank them and to thank Dr. McWhite as well. He texted me a little while ago, said he was praying for me. And uh, I said, stop texting me. I'm trying to get ready for preaching. But uh, I said, I'm preaching Jesus today. I hope that's okay. And he said that was okay. Uh, and then I do always love to thank this church, especially for the uh, incredible influence you've had at North Greenville University. You've provided us so many trustees. I see uh, Russell Ashmore over here, my dear, dear friend. And there are so many. We have four or five church members uh, who are on the board now, who are on advisory boards. We have alums, as you know. Uh, this is a place where many of our students go. And you have made such a huge difference at that university. And I love to tell people when I'm interviewing faculty and staff, one of the things that I tell them is that people at the churches in the area call it our university or our college for those you've, or our junior college or our academy for some of you who've been around for a really long time. Uh, but we are just so appreciative. And the number one question I'm getting right now as the president is, what's the fall going to look like? Well, if you know, you can tell me, uh, and that'll, that'll be helpful to me. But the, the funny thing is, is that at our switchboard, we're getting calls from students saying, my parents are driving me crazy. Is there any way we'll be open in the fall? And our answer is absolutely. We also get a few calls from dad saying, my kid is driving me crazy. Can you please be open so I can get rid of my kid for a while? Uh, but we have planned uh, for our reopening. We have lots of protocols in place and so forth. Tomorrow we have a hundred families coming in for orientation, uh, believe it or not. Socially distanced and all that. We've, we've worked through all of that. Uh, but join us in, in just praying that uh, we will have the wisdom to know what we need to do in this very unusual time. As you know, uh, young people are not really good at social distancing and uh, so forth. And so we're trying to think through what that's going to look like and everything, but we are just really blessed. We haven't had to furlough a single employee of the university uh, during all this, which is amazing. And uh, some of you know our board made a decision a number of years ago that we would no longer do debt and we would have cash in the bank. Imagine that was a great idea. And so going into this, we've just been blessed. Now, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and so I'm going to do a Christmas message. I hope that's okay. Uh, because every day is Christmas, right, when you're a believer, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, but as you're turning to that in your, in your Bibles or on your device or whatever, I do want to give a little bit of a, uh, context. And one of the things that I'll tell you is sometimes when I'm asked to fill the pulpit, I kind of have to wrestle to figure out what it is that God is wanting me uh, to talk about, what passage God is leading me to. Uh, but when uh, I got the email from David Klein asking me to be with you today, I knew exactly where I wanted to be. Uh, where I was supposed to be. And that was the phrase, God with us. Uh, just immediately that was laid on my heart. Because I don't know about you, but as I'm watching the news, I'm starting to wonder, where is God in all of this? 
as I look at all the things we're all having to deal with and, and uh, with relationships, with health, with, with whatever, uh, sometimes that crosses my mind. I was talking to a pastor the other day, and he said that this was the most difficult season of his almost 50 years in ministry uh, because he can't go to the hospital and pray with those who are sick. He can't go to the funeral home in many cases and be with the family that is bereaved. On Sundays, he's preaching to a camera instead of a congregation. And so we are in a season right now where I think that that's a question that sometimes is one that lurks, maybe even unspoken but felt. Where is God in all of this? And I just want to remind each and every one of us that God is with us. This is one of the hopes that we get as we switch from the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament. And so I, I want to talk about it in context of something else. A friend of mine uh, who's a big higher ed leader one time said to me, you know, we've been lying to students for about 30 or 40 years now. And I said, well, what's the lie we've been teaching students? And she said, the lie we've been teaching students is that they can be anything they want to be when they grow up. And she said, what we need to be teaching them is that they need to be who God wants them to be. Because when we say they get to be anything they want to be, we've set them up to be a petty tyrant over their lives. And we've set them up as if they are the center of the universe. But she went on to say, what we need to teach students is the understanding that they have been created by God and uniquely equipped to do what God is calling them to do. And I say that in the context of this passage because what happens sometimes is that we get to deceive ourselves a little bit into thinking that we get to run the universe. And that if we're not happy, the universe must not be happy or, or, or whatever. We, we can go through a lot of those things. But here's what I love to tell students. I love to tell students that God has a purpose and God has a plan. And that your life is a part of a larger purpose and a larger plan. It's not just about you. It's about God. And so as we look at all this, we can understand this, that God loves you and has a plan for you. And by the way, I'm a church member here. I want to add as a special thing, God has a plan for Taylor's First Baptist Church. As long as we are comporting with his plan for the nations. And this has been a church that has absolutely been a part of that. And so God has not finished with any of us as individuals, as churches, even as countries, as long as we are a part of his larger plan and his larger purpose. So this morning, I want to start by looking at the coming of Christ, and then we'll go through and look at this. So we're in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, down in verse 20, and if you're able, I would like for you to stand out of respect for God's inspired word. I always ask our students to do that. And so in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, we're going to look at just a couple of verses here. But listen to these words uh, spoken uh, around Joseph's discovery of the situation that he and Mary were in. Scriptures say this, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are not a distant God who set up the world as some sort of a mechanical system, 
but you are a God that created this world to reveal who you are. And not only that, you are a God who sent his son to live among us, to understand us, to feel with us, and not to give us an example, but instead to actually be the sacrifice for us. And so God, this morning, we just pray that we will be reminded and we will be heartened to know that you are with us, even when it doesn't feel like it. That is a human weakness and a failure of human perspective because you are with us. And so this morning, we claim that as a promise and as a fact, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's put Matthew into context. And uh, Matthew and the Gospels, was, we're coming to the coming of Christ. And as we uh, begin to see that, I need to remind you that God's Spirit was not personally uh, interactive in the Old Testament the same way that the Spirit is after Pentecost. And so you think about this, when Samuel is born back in the opening of 1 Samuel, uh, one of the passages that's there is when the voice of God begins to call to Samuel, the, the narrator there says, in those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. And so it's hard for us as believers who have the indwelling of the Spirit in us, who have this connection with the Spirit, it's hard for us to imagine what it must have been like to be in a time where God's Spirit would speak at times times, but would be silent at times and would be in some ways what would be feel, felt as distant at times. And, and you've got to imagine that for Israel, it must have been hard to know that you were the chosen people, but that sometimes the chooser was being silent with you. And so when we get to the opening of the New Testament, the opening of Matthew here, it has been basically 400 years since they have had a word from God. And so in the opening of Matthew, you've got to understand that there's something really powerful happening here. Now, Joseph has just had uh, a conversation with Mary where Mary says, I don't understand this, but I'm pregnant. And Joseph, you know, they do know how things work back then even. Uh, so Joseph's like, well, you know, so he's thinking, how do I get out of this situation and everything? And then after 400 years of silence, essentially, Joseph has an experience with an angel and a vision. And so not only is he afraid because of what has been spoken of to him by Mary, but he's also afraid because all of a sudden he's having this vision and people are not supposed to have visions at this time. And so in this passage, he is now hearing a word from the Lord, a prophetic word from the Lord that is re recorded for us in the scriptures. And notice that the first words that come to him, Joseph, son of David, this is verse 20, don't be afraid. Now it goes on to say, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. But those first few words, there must have been a great comfort to Joseph because you know he was freaking out, right? He must have been thinking, what is happening here? I've got this, maybe maybe the conversation is freaking me out. I, I, I don't know what's going on. But when this all starts up, essentially what we have is Joseph wondering, what is happening in my life? Everything is falling apart. My fiance, I don't know what to do about this. Now I'm having a vision. I don't know what to do about this. And then the words begin to come, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. The Spirit is upon her. The Spirit is involved with this. In fact, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. And so what I want to talk about this morning is this idea about what is it that God is doing? Can we trust that God is doing something and that God loves us, that God is with us? And the answer to that is, of course, absolutely we can. And so here's the good news. In fact, it's great news. God is with us and God has a plan. 
Uh, I got to hear Rudy Giuliani speak after September 11th one time, and he was at an event, and somebody asked him, how did you have all the plans in place for September 11th that you were able to do everything so quickly? And he said, we didn't have any plans in place. We were bluffing. And he said, but here's what I came to understand as a leader. When there's a crisis, if anybody says, we don't have a plan, we're all going to die, nobody's going to follow that guy. But if you say, we've got a plan, follow us, we're all going to be okay, everyone's going to follow that person. And so in humanly terms, what he was admitting was he really didn't have a plan, but he convinced people that he had a plan. And, and you know what happened after September 11th in New York City? They were able to get order restored very quickly and so forth. But I don't want to talk about the plan first. I want to talk about the purpose first, because if you have a plan with no purpose, you aren't going to accomplish anything. But if you have a purpose and a plan, it's going to be amazing. And so when the angel speaks here in verse 21, the angel reveals to us here, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because, and here is the purpose that God has for all of us as humankind. He, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. And, and so what is the purpose that God has? The purpose that God has is the reconciliation of humankind to himself. Now, I, I don't understand why God loves us so much, but God loves us an incredible amount. I don't understand why God wants to reconcile us when we are so sinful and we are so broken, but he does. And so when we begin to look at this plan, what we see is that Christ's ministry of salvation works on a number of levels. First off, he redeems us from our sins and the brokenness that we have. And the sin that we have often is what is, is exactly what sidelines us and causes us not to be able to do the things that God wants us to do. I have seen many, many, many Christians over my life and over my ministry who get off on the side and they feel like God can't use me because he doesn't know me. Me, but I know myself and I know how sinful I am. But here's the reality. The reality is God does know how sinful you are and God has forgiven you of those sins. And it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so when it says he has come to redeem us from our sins, to save us from our sins, the first thing it does is it saves us from the selfish isolation and brokenness we have. The second thing that it does in all that is that it actually provides human institutions that mitigate the effects of sin. And so uh, I, had a, I had a friend who was a police officer one time, and he said, if you realize if we didn't have sin, we wouldn't have to have police. And I thought that was an interesting idea. There's an extent to which we wouldn't even need teachers if we hadn't had sin, because we would have this incredible uh, community. Uh, in fact, John Milton, the great English poet, said that the purpose of education is to overcome the ruin of our first parents, and that that's what education is. And so we look, and God has sent to us families and organizations, institutions that help to mitigate the chaos that comes into our world. Think about this. In Isaiah, when one of the prophecies about Christ happens, it says the government Government shall be upon his shoulders, and we forget that government is actually rooted in the nature and person of Christ in redeeming us and preserving us from the disorder and chaos that results from sin. But the big thing that Christ came to do was to re re uh, reconcile us to God himself. And so God has sent Jesus to save us and to bridge the gap that disrupts us between God and all of us to save us from the eternal ramifications. I mean, think about this. These are the words of Christ at the Last Supper, where in Matthew 26, 28, he says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so why did Christ come? He came knowing that he would die. 
and knowing that his death would provide the sacrifice, but he also knew that that would not be the end, that the resurrection would come. And he promised that, that after three days, he would be resurrected. And all of this is there because God has a purpose for the universe. And that purpose is ultimately the glorification of himself. And in this case, the, re the reconciliation of humans to him. But I want to make sure you understand this. God's purpose may include you, but it is not you. When I work with students, it's the number one thing that we talk about is you are not the center of the universe. And, and they love to think that. And, and we all love to think that if we're honest, right? I mean, this is when we get huffy, right? How dare you talk about me that way? How dare somebody not respect me? Whatever. This is really us turning ourselves into the center of the universe. And what God is trying to help us to understand is that God has an overarching plan for the universe, the revelation and glorification of himself, and that all of us are a part of this. And so the glorification of his name includes the reconciliation of all of humankind to him through the coming of Jesus Christ. And so if he's got a purpose, then that means he must have have a plan. So look at verse 22. So it says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then we get in verse 23, actually a lifting out of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. And so what I want to make sure that we're all understanding is that God is outside of history. And because he's outside of history, past, present, and future mean nothing to him. He sees all of those at the same time. And in fact, he is able to arrange things so that they all fit with ultimately his purpose. And so when we look at the Old Testament and we go back in the lens of the New Testament, we see all these passages that suddenly start popping up out of Isaiah or out of the Psalms or out of Genesis. And we now, look at him with the lens of the New Testament, and we begin to be absolutely blown away by how God was orchestrating history so that in the fullness of time, Christ could come and could affect reconciliation. And it's the thing that I come away with from the Old Testament time and time again is, wow, God knew what he was doing. Now, now let those words sink in for a while. Wow, God knew what he was doing. God had a purpose. God has a purpose. God had a plan. God has a plan. And so when we get to this, listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, listen to these words. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was, listen to this, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, I, I want to make sure that you saw that phrase. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The plan happened before the creation of the world. In fact, we find in Revelation 13, 8, that the names written in the Lamb's book of life were actually written there before the Lamb's, before the foundation of the world. I don't understand how that works, but God does. And it doesn't matter whether I understand it or not, God's got it. And so I think sometimes we view scripture with human eyes and we think, wow, that's pretty cool. That happened. Well, it happened because there was a plan and there's a plan because there's a purpose. God had a purpose. God has a purpose. God will continue to have a purpose. God had a plan. God has a plan. God will continue to have a plan. 
And so we see this that's unfolding all of this time and understand this, that God's timing is perfect. And while for 400 years the Israelites were wondering, where is the word of God? We will be faithful, but where is the word of God? For 400 years, what the scriptures then make clear in Galatians and other passages is in the fullness of time, Christ came into the world. At the right time, at the time when it mattered, at the time that God had foreordained. And so I say this as an encouraging word to each and every one of us because there are times in our lives where we're dealing with loneliness, with stress, with loss, with bereavement, with chaos in the culture, whatever it is. And all of those times when we are struggling with that and we're beginning to wonder where is the word of God, let's all understand this. The word of God is with us and has always been with us. And Christ himself is the fulfillment of all of that. And that plan transcends all of us. It's, it's bigger than all of us because it's God's plan. It's not our plan. And so as we watch TV, I hope that you understand that it's more important for God to be with you than for CNN to be with you or for Fox to be with you or, or for other things to be with you. We need to focus on the understanding that we are not watching something unfold that surprises God. And that may be national, that may be personal. Have a dear friend whose husband at age 50 had a massive stroke last week, and she's in the hospital with, her now, with him now. And I'm sure all of us watching that, as a guy I used to be a deacon with, and we used to do the, the offering together in a section of the auditorium, and I keep thinking about that. We're basically the same age, this guy, you know, and, and I keep thinking, God's not surprised by this, and God has a plan, and God is with them. And so look at the next thing. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God sent a person. And so in verse 23, we see the fulfillment of this prophecy was that the virgin would become pregnant, would give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, many religions, the gods provide a task. And so if you want to go to heaven, you have to do things. You have to go on a journey. Uh, you have to give all your stuff away. You have to, there, there's a big long list. But what we find in Christianity is something very different. We don't have to do anything because it's already been done for us. And so if you look at some religions, what they'll say is the only way for you to go to heaven is to do these 50 things or whatever it is. But we don't have to do that. We do the things that we do because God has already loved us and has done things. And so we obey because we are loved. We do not obey so that we may be loved. 1 John 4, 19 is my life verse. We love because he first loved us. And so everything that we do out of obedience is because he has first loved us. And this is all a subset of this reality that God loved us so much that he sent a son to us, not to be an example to us, not merely to be an example to us, but to actually be the sacrifice for us. I tell this story frequently. I was flying on a plane one time and a man from a religion that was a works-oriented religion was talking to me and uh, he, he's from another country and he asked me if I had ever read uh, a book from their country and it happened to be one that I had actually read. And, and so he was talking about the main character of that book and he said, you know, that guy's just like Jesus. Uh, your Jesus is the way he phrased it. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, he taught us that suffering redeems us and that each of us has to suffer. And as we suffer, we are purified and made ready for holiness. And I said, oh, he's nothing like Jesus. Uh, 
See, I don't have to suffer because Jesus suffered. My suffering is not redemptive. My suffering is merely suffering. It's merely uh, something that happens in this world. But I know that I have hope for the next world because Jesus is taking care of it. I don't bear the burden of my salvation. Christ has already carried the burden of my salvation. And so when we think about that, that then reminds us about the last thing that we have, which is that God's plan includes his presence. And so those are the last words there, which are translated, God is with us. And so we not only have Christ who is here, and in Christ we find that we have an unusual situation because Christ, I know there's a recent media guy who said Jesus admittedly was not perfect. I don't know if y'all have seen that or not, but apparently he needs to like read the Bible. So I want to read for you Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, listen to these powerful words. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need, to help us at the right time. And so we know that Christ came in the form of a man so that God could demonstrate that he is not distant from us, but instead he understands us and he loves us so much that his son was sent as a sacrifice. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, when we get into the gospel of John, we begin to find out more and more about this Holy Spirit that the angel was talking about here at the opening of Matthew. And Christ, as he's getting ready to depart, looks at his disciples and says, I am not going to leave you as orphans. He says in John 14, uh, verse 15, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor, comforter, encourager to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be with you. We have the spirit inside of us that comforts us, that encourages us, that is God's presence with us, that is something that was made available specifically because of the coming of that child at Christmas time. And so when you are in the hospital and you're by yourself, you can know that you are not by yourself. When you are going through whatever that loss, that stress, whatever, whatever the challenge is, you can know that because Christ came, Christ arranged for the Spirit to indwell in each and every one of us as well. And so we are never alone. God is with us, constantly, totally encouraging us. Even when we don't feel it, He is still there whispering to us, you're okay. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. It's going to be okay. I promise. And sometimes we're distracted and we don't hear those words and all, but I want to make sure you understand that God's love for us, God's love for each and every one of you didn't even start when you were born. It started before the foundations of the earth. Because as it says, he had a plan that started way back then. Christ was chosen before the foundations of the earth, which means there's been a plan. And God has wanted to be with us and love us all the way back before you were even conceived, which is an amazing concept. The Comforter is with us. God is with us. And Emmanuel is one of Christ's names, not just because it was fulfilling prophecy, but because it was a promise. It had been promised before, and it is promised to us each and every way now, even. Sometimes we feel like he doesn't love us, and that's a temptation and a distraction. Let me make sure you understand that evil one doesn't always teach us lies. Sometimes he teaches us distractions. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about that in his great book, The Screwtape Letters, that the number one tool in the devil's work trap is distraction. 
not necessarily distraction is a form of deception. And so what I want to encourage each and every one of you to think about today is this. Is Christmas only for Christmas or is Christmas every day? When I was a kid, this is in our sermon notes, when I was a kid, I came home one day and I was really excited and I told my mom, they've moved Christmas to July, mom, did you know? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, it's in the newspaper. They've moved Christmas to July. And of course, I was a little kid. I didn't understand it was an advertisement for a department store. And they were having Christmas in July sales. And mom said, oh, honey, Christmas is always December 25th. But when you're a Christian, Christmas is every day. Because Jesus is there every day. He came and he's with us. God is with us all the time. And so what does this mean for each and every one of us? Well, I have an exciting announcement for our church today. I have an, hold on to your socks. We have a pastor. Now we don't know his name, but I have an exciting reminder to you. If God is outside of history and for God, past, present, and future are all the same, God already knows who that pastor is. God is preparing that pastor for us and the timing of God is perfect timing. And we don't want the wrong pastor at the wrong time. Can I get an amen? We want the right pastor at the right time. And, and we don't know what's going on. There may be a family thing that's going on that needs to be gotten through. There may be a maturity issue that needs to be worked through. It may be as simple as we have things as a church we need to continue to work through. But I will tell you this, I am assured of this. God has a pastor for us and is preparing that pastor for the right time. So please keep praying for that pulpit search committee, that pastor search committee, that they will be led by God's providence. And by the way, another thing let me encourage you to do, there's a pastor that's about to lose their beloved pastor. There's a church that's about to lose their beloved pastor and they don't even know it yet. And I'm not going to say we're going to steal a good one, but we're going to steal it. I have no, I haven't talked to, to this committee in a while. But I'm just telling you, I, because I do pulpit supply a lot, I do this a lot. I'm often the first person in after the pastor is left. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and all that. That, that other church stole our pastor. Y'all, pray for our pastor, whoever it is. Pray for the pastor's family, whoever it is. Pray for the church where that pastor is, wherever they are. Because God is sovereign. And guess what? If that pastor leaves, then that means it's time for them to find the right pastor at the right time. God, God is sovereign. God's got a purpose and God's got a plan. And our church is a part of that. Each and every one of you as Christ followers are a part of that as well. And so the second thing that I'll add is, what does this mean for our nation? I'll tell y'all, I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago to the beach and I didn't watch the news for a week. And boy, did I feel a lot better. I didn't look at Facebook for almost a week. Boy, did I feel a lot better. Y'all understand fear is not of God. Fear is what we feel when we are carrying ourselves away from, or at least convincing ourselves that we're being led away from the presence of God. If God is with us, we will not fear. And so if God is with us, we need to be people of love and we need to be people who are transforming our communities, uh, sharing the gospel, changing all of that. And yes, we have other things that we need to do that are a part of the gospel as well. But one of the things that I love to tell churches is do not be afraid because God is with us. And then the last thing I want to remind each and every one of you is God loves you and God has a purpose that you are a part of. 
And sometimes I'll have people who say, but, but Dr. Fant, you don't understand. I can't do anything anymore. Uh, I had a guy tell me that one time. said, I used to be a pastor. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. Now I can't do anything. And, I, and I, what I wanted to say to the guy was, well, one thing you could do is not complain to the preacher. That would maybe be a helpful thing. But, but I know what the guy was saying. What the guy was saying, I, 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 don't, I, I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. And what I wanted to tell him was, but you can pray, can't you? But you can write notes, can't you? You can make phone calls, can't you? And, and God's, got a, God's got something for each and every person here to do. Some of y'all can't sleep after 4 o'clock in the morning. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be praying. You'd be praying for our nation, for our leaders, for our church, for the pastor search committee. Pray for North Greenville. Pray for Dr. Fant. I need it. People ask me all the time, uh, can we pray for you? And I'm like, yes, please. I need it a ton. And, and I find myself, I'm getting older and older, which means I get up earlier and earlier. And that's one of the things that I keep coming back to because this is a part of us being a part of God's plan for the world is that sometimes we are very active in worldly terms. But sometimes what we are called to do is to pray, to encourage, to write notes, to make phone calls, to do those things that may not be glamorous in the world's terms, but it is the way for us having the presence of God with us to carry that presence to others and encourage them. But the other thing I'll always say anytime I'm in a group of, you know, outside of my family is I'm going to say this, the purpose of God is the reconciliation of people from sins, to save people from their sins. And so even in a group like this, in the first service, I want to make sure you think about that. Sin is overcome by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and we always need to understand that sometimes in those quiet moments where we wake up, we can be convicted of sin, but sometimes people wake up in those moments or maybe late at night they're going to sleep and they can't sleep and what's happening is they're realizing they've never been forgiven of their sins. And so even today, I want to remind you that God came with a purpose and that purpose was to reconcile us and to save us from our sins. So even this morning, I would say, give up, repent of your sins and allow Christ to come and make that difference and to feel that difference that happens inside of you as Christ comes. So let's pray. God, we are grateful for the coming of that baby. And God, Christmas so often gets distracted into things like gifts and family and all of that. God, even as uh, good Southern Baptists, sometimes Christmas becomes Lottie Moon or Operation Christmas Child or something like that, and we feel good about ourselves. And those are good and worthy things, but the thing that I want to remind all of us about today is Christmas was about your plan coming to fruition, that uh, Christmas is nothing without Easter. And Easter coming off of Good Friday and all the revelation of your plan and your purpose that happens there, the confirmation of those things should help us to understand that you are with us. And so, God, when we are lonely, whisper in our ears, I am with you. When we are troubled, when we are stressed, uh, when we're grieving, help us to understand. Stir your spirit in our hearts and in our ears, in our minds to understand that you are with us. And then, God, help us to be your hands and feet to a world and a culture that doesn't understand who you are and that longs to understand that they can be forgiven. And so we pray all these things 
in the name of Christ this morning. Amen. I have a mask in my pocket. I'm going to go down front. If anyone needs to make a decision during our time of commitment, I will be happy to put that mask on and talk to you.